Rick will be teaching from Matthew 4, 18 through 22, and then again, Matthew 5, 1 through 2 this morning. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then Matthew 5, 1 through 2. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying... You guys, um, how, do, how do you define happiness? Not, by the way, not a rhetorical question. How, how do you guys, how do you define happiness? What may, let, maybe a, a, a easier, a simpler question. What makes you happy? In the last week, when have you been happy and what is it that has made you happy? What makes you happy? What's that? Tacos. There was a taco in the in the video. Nice, very good. Yeah. You know, one one thing that makes me happy. Maybe this will help you spur this on. Is is when my family can sit down to a meal and no one fights. That makes me happy. If you have more than one child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What what makes you guys happy? Come on. A clear schedule. A clear schedule. Ooh. When the kids sleep in. Yes. Do you ever, you ever try to like sneak a little like let them stay up another like 45 minutes hoping that that'll like transfer to the morning? I've done that before unsuccessfully. Uh, what else? What else makes you guys happy? When my football team wins. Sorry, that's a cowboy fan right there. <laughs> um, so how would you fill in, these are rhetorical questions, how would you fill in these blanks? If I could have blank, I would be happy. If blank would happen, I would be happy. If blank would stop happening, I would be happy. Um, some things that I wrote down, you might think about. My family could get along if I could get a new job, if my wife or my husband would stop doing this, if I could get a raise, if my health would improve these things would make me happy. And I think that those are all, there's some value in those things. There's also some devalue in those things as well. Um, 
But pursuing happiness seems to be a right for us. I'm going to put something on the screen, something Thomas Jefferson wrote uh, whenever it was hundreds of years ago. He says, and you probably remember these, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because you are an American, the likelihood is you believe that pursuing happiness is your God-given right. Um, And that's a little bit... That idea to pursue happiness and what that means is a little bit shaky in my mind because, like, I think the Scripture teaches us that we ought to pursue our happiness with unparalleled vigor. But I think that what what I think this this series is going to do, and it's already done for me, and uh, is challenge how we define happy. And that's what today is, is going to be about. Um, and we're going to end today with a, a conversation I'm going to have with Mandy Walton about happiness and hardship and how those things can um, inextric- inextricably weave themselves together, happiness with hardship. Um, I just finished watching. You guys ever seen Mad Men? Uh, I've seen an episode or two or the whole thing. Uh, my wife and I just finished the whole thing. And uh, there's th- this, if you've seen the series, it's really good. Um, it's kind of a, a slow, character-driven series. But there's a, there's a theme, a thread that kind of runs through it. And, and Don Draper, who's the main character, um, is, is seeking out his happiness and seeking, trying to tell people how they're going to find their happiness. He's an advertising guy. Um, In it, uh, he says this, even though success is a reality, its effects are temporary. I want you to think about that. In pursuit of happiness, a lot of times we define happiness as success. How do we define success? If we have success, we're happy. But the fatalistic Don Draper says, even though success is a reality... Its effects are temporary. You get hungry even though you've just eaten. I think that's a really cool line. Think about your pursuit of happiness in that context. You get hungry even though you've just eaten. You're happy because you're successful, but what is happiness? And John Draper's definition of happiness is that moment before you need more happiness. Like that's... What this world is trying to convince you of is you need to be happy. And the moment that you get happy is the moment you realize you're not happy. It's the moment you realize you need more happy. And it's this cycle, culture, the world, however you want to say it, tells you how to get happy and how to be happy. It's tied to prosperity. Your happiness, many times, if we were really honest with ourselves... Our happiness is tied to our prosperity. It's tied to our power. For some of you, your happiness is tied to your control. Let me step on your toe for a second. Your happiness is tied to your control. How well do you have everything contained and controlled in your life? If you have everything in your life contained and controlled, everyone is doing exactly what you want them to do, happiness is possible for you. Power. Health. Happiness. I think for me, my happiness is defined by those that are around me that are happy. 
If they're happy, then I can be happy. If they're not happy, I can't be happy. There's an old phrase that says, a mom is only as happy as her least happy child. Have you heard that before? Let me say it again. A mom is only as happy as her least happy child. Because our happiness many times is, is, is dependent upon someone else's happiness. Um, and there's, there's some uh, virtue to that statement that our, a mom is only as happy as her least happy child. But there's also some hmm about that. Uh, the big picture, that, that's sort of the setup for the series. And we'll talk about those things more as we come along. And I hope your mind is chasing some of those ideas of, of what it means to be happy. Um, but I want to bring a definition of happiness according to Jesus. And this is going to be on the screen for the rest of the time. Uh, Abram, hit that, hit that slide. Happiness, according to Jesus, is being with him. So, in this definition, happiness is available in the middle of hardship. Even more specifically stated, and I think what Jesus is going to teach us, is happiness isn't just available during hardship. Happiness is probably closer to you during hardship. And I want to get our minds beyond. Actually, I don't want to get our minds. I want to draw the tension in our minds and in our spirits between what the world slash culture slash your own flesh tells you is going to make you happy and draw that tension between what Christ says is going to make you happy and, and bring those, all those things together. Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 4, um, and we're going to dig into some scripture here. Um, and... Let's, uh, before, before we get there, let me, let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity we have together today to, um, to just consider. God, I pray that you would uh, turn on our brains, ignite our brains, and uh, allow us to think about just the, the depth of who we are, God, and the, the depth of the happiness that we, we crave and we strive to get, Father, and I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted of how we're pursuing happiness in ways outside of what you've intended for us, God. God, and, and I think about those, those emojis, Father, and we're striving after love, we're striving after notoriety and fame, we're striving after the things of this world, Father, but I, I pray that we would find in you our happiness. God, I, I pray as we continue this series, Father, that you would allow us to think deeply about who you are. In Christ's name, amen. So this, this series and uh, is the, we're just going to talk about the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are, are nine simple statements that Jesus made to his disciples at the beginning of his ministry. And those nine simple statements start at the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, I want to give you guys a little bit of homework. It's, it's going to be helpful for you as we continue on. So we're doing this morning, and then the next nine weeks will be each one of those beatitudes, each one of those simple statements. Uh, that'll be the, the entirety of the sermon each, each of the next nine weeks. But I want to, want to encourage you to two or three times this week, read the entirety of Matthew 5 through 7. That's the, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So the Beatitudes, what we'll talk about in depth here, are the, the kind of the springboard to all those things. But if we have the fullness of the whole Sermon on the Mount, it's going to help us as we study each one of the Beatitudes. So two or three times this, this week, maybe as, if you're married, as you're laying down with, with your spouse, read those right before you go to bed. Uh, read 5 through 7. It'll take you six or seven minutes. Uh, and try and read the whole thing uh, in, in one sitting. But the, the Sermon on the Mount, the... The heart of it is Jesus is, is beginning his public ministry. Jesus is beginning, beginning his teaching ministry, and he, he gathers people to himself. And I want to talk for a second about what that means in light of this idea that according to Jesus, happiness is being with him. Here's how he starts out his public teaching ministry and his public life. He brings people to himself. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 4, Matthew while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to think about that first phrase, follow me. This is discipleship. And we're gonna, he's going to say in a second, his disciples followed him. And he's not talking about the 12 guys that, that you know as the 12 disciples, maybe the 12 apostles, Peter, James, John. Andrew, those guys. He's not talking about, that's a, a capital D disciples. This is a lowercase d disciples. He is calling you today, Jesus is calling you today to follow him. Um, and that's, that's a very expected phrase for you to hear in a church. Right? You come to church, you expect somebody to say to you, Jesus is calling you to follow him. But I want you to, to think a little bit deeper about that and what that means. Do you know, do you believe that Jesus is more concerned for your happiness than you are? Think about that. As, as intent as you are up to get happiness, Jesus is more concerned about your happiness than you are. And here, very simple, subtle thing, Jesus says, follow me. That's the path to happiness. And what did they do? Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. I want to challenge you for the next 10 weeks, today and the next nine, think, we're going to think about what it means to follow Jesus and the happiness that comes. With, I want to Let's, let's give it nine weeks at the beginning of, a season, of, the, of, the seer, of the year. I'm sorry. Let's give it nine weeks at the beginning of the year to see if following him does anything. Verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is a familiar passage for some of you who've been in church for a while or most of your lives that you miss what happened here. Following Jesus costs you something. Do you see what it costs? Uh, 
James, and John. Immediately they left the boat and they left their father who was with them. Probably a hard situation, but he left them. And seeing the crowds, I'm going to verse chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 now. So he's calling people, and then there's some stuff that happens between 4.22 and 5.1. Uh, but he sees the crowds that are following, and he goes up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. I want to, again, insert some, like, let's get in this picture. Jesus is orchestrating things to get alone with his disciples, and disciples are the people that are following him. Jesus is orchestrating things in your world. Here, I'm talking to you. Jesus is orchestrating things, circumstances in your world to get alone with you. Like think, like that's, that's a knee-buckling idea if we really tease that out and chase it out. That, that Jesus, God in the flesh, is orchestrating events to get alone with you. Um, I hope that's really cool for you. And the response, when he gets alone, when he sits down with his disciples, he opens his mouth and teaches them, saying, and then he lays out the Beatitudes. Let's talk about the whole of the Beatitudes for just a second. Um, defining disciple first. Um, there is, there's not a curriculum to discipleship. When Jesus says, follow me, be my disciple, there's not a curriculum. You don't get a book other than the words of Jesus. You don't get a, like, we're not walking through a, a six-part series of what it means to be a disciple. It simply means for Jesus to be a disciple is to just live a transparent life in front of them. Watch him. To love like he loves. To love who he loves. That one, let's, let's, pick on each other a little bit here. Let me pick on you a little bit. To be a disciple of Jesus is to love like he loves. We get that one, but also to love who he loves. I've done a lot in the last few weeks for, to get you guys to think about people that are hard to love in your world. Maybe, maybe picture someone in your world that's hard to love. Give you a moment to think about that. If you're a visual person, picture their face. To be a disciple of Jesus is to pursue your happiness. To pursue your happiness is to love like Jesus loved and loved who Jesus loved. It's also to serve like Jesus serves and to serve who Jesus serves. Do you know Jesus came to this earth not to be served but to serve and to give his life away? That's the the point of Jesus coming. And he came to serve, elsewhere in scripture, it calls us his enemies. Jesus came to serve his enemies. Who do you serve? Think about this in your world. Do you think about this idea that Jesus proclaims that happiness is being with him, and Jesus says that being with me is to be my disciple, to be like I am, we are to, to, so to pursue your own happiness is to serve your enemy. That's backwards, right? And, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, 
serve your enemy. Jesus says, even, even the, the pagans serve those who serve them. It's easy for me, like you guys, I, I, all of you, I like you a lot. I'm, I'm happy to serve you. Because for a lot of you, you, you're willing to serve me right back. But that's not Jesus at all. Serving those who you know are going to serve you back is not really being a disciple of Jesus. Serve those who can't serve you back or who have, have slapped you. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone slaps you on the right side, turn him the other cheek and let him slap you on the left. This is what it means to be a disciple. And then, lastly, value what he values um, and value who he values, which is everyone. What isn't a disciple? It, a, a disciple is not a call to be better. A disciple is not a call to increase your commitment level to Jesus. When I'm saying being a disciple to pursue your own happiness is to be a disciple of Jesus, I'm not calling you to commit more deeply or commit better. It's simply to follow Jesus, a call to behave. And the interesting part about this is we're in the middle of the first week of January. And you may have, I, I read something online this week about the, the most, the, the month of the year where your Bible is read the most is January every year. Because you have this newfound commitment. I'm going to read my Bible every day or I'm going to do this every day. But the gospel piece to all this, like discipleship is following Jesus closely. The gospel piece to all of this is that Jesus offers this happiness to you all the time without regard to who you are or what you're doing. Your commitment level is not in question here. When you fail in your commitment to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus goes nowhere. I'm talking about loving who he loves, serving who he loves, and and being just like him. And when you fail in that, Jesus doesn't go anywhere. For us, you make me mad. I'm there's going to be friction in our relationship probably. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. For Jesus, when, when we fail in our commitments, he remains. That's really cool. So the Beatitudes are nine statements that start with the word blessed, and it means most strictly translated, blessed means happy, which is the, the reason why we're talking about happiness so much. But there's more to it than that. Blessed in the Greek is the Greek word makairios. And makairios is a word that doesn't have direct comparison in our language. The closest single word is happy, but the word picture is someone being congratulated. When we see the word blessed, it's makairos, and it means the word picture is someone is being congratulated. Uh, The Golden Globes are tonight. Do you guys watch the Golden Globes? Anybody? Sheridan watches the Golden Globes. Don't be ashamed. I'll be watching them too, probably, or DVR or something. I'll check who won tomorrow if I don't watch them. Um, well, there's a football game on tonight, so I'll probably be watching that. Uh, anyway, the point is, is someone, the, the Golden Globe is going to go to the best actor and the best actresses and, and films and, and television and the best writers and directors, and someone is going to come up and they're going to get this little golden statue thing, and they're going to say, way to go. And, the, and because they get that, 
that golden statue thing, they're going to get acclaim. They're going to get praise. And, and more than that, they're going to get, because they have this golden globe, they're more likely to win an Academy Award in a couple of months when those come out. And if they win one of those, they're like the next film that they do is going to be worth more money because the, the poster can say Golden Globe winner or Academy Award winner. So when someone comes up on the stage tonight and gets this Golden Globe, it's going to, it's going to mean congratulations. And not just congratulations, but congratulations. And here's some benefit for this congratulations. You follow that? So to, if you watch them, or if you don't watch them, watch some of the acceptance, acceptance speeches online tomorrow and, and think about what we've talked about this morning. Think about what Jesus is saying is the pursuit of happiness. And think about the Greek word makarios and how it means congratulations. And then what that means to this person. How that changes their life. This congratulations changes their life. And that's, that's a beautiful picture for what Jesus is getting at here in the Beatitudes. Um, N.T. Wright has written a translation of the New Testament called The Bible for Today. And in it, he translates the Beatitudes this way. They're going to be on the screen. These are really cool. Um, It says, Wonderful news for the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Think about congratulations. Think about the gift that's been given to you and the effects of that gift. Think about the actor who now can get 10 million per movie instead of 8 million per movie. This is the effect. Congratulations. Wonderful news for the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wonderful news for the mourners. You're going to be comforted. Wonderful news for the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. Wonderful news for the people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. Man, that one really rings in my head, given the fact that we're in North County and all the stuff that's gone on in the last five years and the the cry for justice. Do you believe that? What it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to fully understand and feel this idea. Wonderful news for the people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. Congratulations. Wonderful news for the merciful. You'll receive mercy yourselves. Wonderful news for the pure in heart. You will see God. Wonderful news for the peacemakers. You'll be called God's children. Wonderful news for people who are persecuted because of God's way. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Um, I want to read to you just the second half of each one of those. And this is, these are the benefits of discipleship. And tell me if you don't like this. The kingdom of heaven is yours. You're going to be comforted you're going to inherit the earth. You're going to be satisfied. You will receive God's mercy. You will see God. You will be called God's children. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Look at, look at these things. Who wants to sign up for that? Who, seriously, who wants to sign up for that? I do. 
I'm sorry, I wasn't really, I was, I was hoping for some more affirmative responses. I mean, look at that. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Look, think about the most beautiful thing this, on this planet. Think about the time where you just, ex- wow, that's incredible. That's a piece of the kingdom of heaven. And discipleship, God offers this to you in its fullness. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wow. You're going to be comforted. In just a second, Mandy's going to walk up here and she's going to talk about a really hard thing. Mandy, I want to scream, you are going to be comforted. You might not feel it today in this moment. It might be hard, wherever you're in the middle of. You might not feel the comfort of of Christ, but it's yours. Do you know that Jesus has never broken a promise? You're going to receive mercy. You're going to be satisfied. Like, what is, think about satisfied. Man, we all pursue happiness. And Jesus' never breaking promise to you is you will be satisfied. It's incredible. But it's not all rainbows and candy. The path to this sort of life are things like poverty, mourning, loneliness, hunger, thirst, pain, corruption, strife, persecution. These are all words that are in the first part of the Beatitudes, translated a little bit differently. Poverty. Who wants to sign up for poverty? Who wants to sign up to mourn? Who wants to sign up to be lonely? Do you want to sign up to be lonely? To be hungry, to thirst. Like for me, like circumstantially, I just hate to be thirsty. Like I need a drink of water now. You ever been there? And you know that, like, like, for the next hour, maybe you're driving in a car or something, or maybe there's something happening in your world where you're not going to drink for an hour and you're really thirsty. Like, how, like, I want to hit somebody. I rarely want to hit somebody. But that's a time where I want to hit somebody. Give me some water now. And it's silly, and we're chuckling, and I intend for you to chuckle and all that, but... Jesus intends for you to thirst. Think about that. Jesus intends for you to feel pain because there's something better. Um, You guys might know, uh, I want to spend the last bit of our time in just a a little conversation with Mandy. Um, Mandy, if you want to come up here, so on June the 27th of 2017, Mandy's sister, uh, Megan, gave birth to a beautiful little daughter named Eileen. And um, what, like eight hours later? Ten hours later, something like that? Shortly after, um, she died. She passed away after childbirth. 
Um, and it's a. Uh, I want to. I brought Mandy up here because she knows what it means. Those those the first parts of the of the Beatitudes: poverty, mourning, loneliness, hunger, thirst, pain, strife. All of those things, Mandy knows probably more intimately than anybody in this room in in these last few months of her life. And so, um, and the the really encouraging thing, the the biggest reason, not not just those things have happened to you, but watching your discipled response to those things is a beautiful picture. And so at the beginning of the series, I want you to hear what discipleship looks like in the middle of an impossibly hard situation. Um, Mandy said to me when we were texting back and forth about what we were going to say this morning, she said to me this, I'm still, she wasn't sure she wanted me to, to do this because she said, I'm still in the trenches and I've in no way worked through any of this. I may say something that doesn't quite sound like you would expect to hear in church. I just want to point people to Jesus. First of all, that's beautiful. But second of all, that's exactly discipleship. That's the purpose. That's the point of what we're doing here. Um, so uh, start with an easy one for you, Mandy. Tell us just a little bit about your relationship with your sister over the last few years, maybe into like high school. Tell us about that. Um, Megan and I had a pretty good relationship. Um, we obviously uh, had our troubles in like high school and college. I mean, we were just normal sisters. We fought over clothes <laughs> and boys and... Did you fight over Kyle? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so um, our relationship was good. Um, after Kyle and I got married, he really challenged me to make sure my relationship with Megan was was a good one. We had kind of had a few years of kind of like feeling competitive and maybe we weren't as close as we should be. And so he was like, you need to make sure this is a priority. And um, I can honestly say that for the last 10 years or so, like we've been really close. Um, looking back, I wish we had been closer. I mean, she moved to Nashville about five years ago. And so that um, created some physical distance, but um, one thing that I was really thankful for, um, and honestly, one of the first things I thought about after she died was that there, I don't have regrets. There's nothing between us that I still wish I had fixed. Hmm. Um, yeah, I wish I would have gone to see her more. I wish we could have had more time together, but. I wasn't, I wasn't holding anything against her. We were in a good place. That's good. Uh, talk for a minute about the ebb and flow of emotions surrounding the last few months. Maybe how you've been sad, angry, hurt, or content, or near to so kind of that tension of, of the, the pain, the anger, the hurt, but also the contentment and the nearness to Jesus. Um, well, I feel like a mess. Um, I've been... Hold on, let me stop you for a second. Like, everybody, it, we, we, this is a really, the context of Mandy's pain is, is obvious, but for her to say, I feel like a mess, that's God cutting through the crap that you build up that tells you that you're not a mess. The value that 
Mandy has in these moments are the, are the fact that God has cut through that nonsense. And if we were in my living room, I'm using a different word right now, that we build up in our lives to convince ourselves that we're not a mess. A, a great value is that you realize that you are a mess, because we all are. Go. I'm sorry. Um, it's been a lot of different emotions. Um, the deepest sadness I've ever felt. Um, lots of brokenness and hopelessness and um, kind of wondering what the point of all this is. Um, lots of dark thoughts, lots of um, wondering how is this good? I mean, I don't think it is good, but I know God's good. And um, I mean, that's the first thing Nathan said when he found out she had died. Is he just kept saying over and over, God is good. He's always good. And um, our whole family knows that. We believe that. But um, I don't think that this is good. And so just like dealing with all of that and um, figuring out where, like, where is my hope now? Um, and the Lord's been good to bring me lots of, well, first of all, our community has been amazing. Our, we have not felt alone one moment. Our friends, um, including you guys, have been so good to always, I mean, I can't even say it, like the texting, the messages, the actually asking how we're doing when you see us. Um, there have been random people that I don't even really know who have been sending gifts every month, just small things to say, I'm thinking of you, I, I feel like I'm I see your pain and just constant reminders that we're not alone. We're in a community of believers and um, that's been amazing and really gives me um, purpose going forward, knowing how like really when you're talking about today, our purpose in life is to pursue happiness and if happiness is where Jesus is doing the things that Jesus is doing like he's just loving people like that's all we have to do is just love people and be with them and be a good friend and like be with someone as they're hurting um so that's that's been good um but it definitely feels like um lots of ups and downs, um, times where you forget and you just are living life and then you remember and times where you can't figure out why you can't get off the couch and you have no motivation and no desire to do anything and you realize, well, it's probably grief, probably just part of the process. Um, yeah.
Um, how have you seen God breaking you down and how have you seen God building strength in you? And are those things woven together back and forth? How have you seen God breaking you down and how have you seen God building you up? Um, well, I, I feel broken most of the time. Um, and I'm starting to see glimpses of where God's, I don't know if I would say he's putting the pieces back together yet, but where I can see that he's promised that he will. And that, um, I mean, I, I made a Facebook post the other day talking about the new year and just kind of where I am and I, I've been promised so many things in scripture that have like really jumped out to me lately of um, like God promises that someday I'll dance again. God promises that he's going to finish a work in me. He promises that um, you know morning lasts for a night and joy comes in the morning, and all these things, and I don't feel them yet, but I know that they're there. And um, so, I forgot your question. Uh, oh, how is he putting the pieces back? Yeah. Um, and I told you, um, there's a story, or in Japan, I guess, they, when someone breaks pottery, um, they they really value their pottery, so instead of throwing it away like we would, they fix it and they they bind the pieces together with gold, and then you have this beautiful piece of pottery that has gold in the cracks, and it's just kind of a picture of how God pieces us back together and how after we've been broken, He's able to make us into something even more beautiful, and um, that story really like has stuck with me the last few months. In fact, someone actually sent it to me again last night saying that that story, um, he read it and he was thinking of me. Um, so I, I know that God's going to piece us back together again. I know that he will work things out for our good, but... Um, the beautiful part is that you're still in pieces. You're not, the gold hasn't put no, you back together there's yet. There's no gold yet. Yeah. <laughs> but that's incredibly hopeful. Like, it's the, the hope and the reality that's present in you to, to be able to say that when you're still in pieces is, is a testimony to the work of Jesus. I'm proud to be your friend. That's great. Um, I want to end with this question. You said to me, the last thing you said in the text was, I just want to point people to Jesus. Why, why did you say that? Well, I've been, I've been following Jesus my whole life. And so I've had lots of chances for him to show his faithfulness. And for me to see him, I've, I've seen how my family has walked with him. And um, I've... I have lots of proof that he's with us and that he's good and that
that he's not going to leave us, but I know that lots of people are watching me and not everyone has a relationship with Jesus. Not everyone has walked with him through hard times. And so sometimes I worry that by being honest with where I'm at and not just posting things that are like rainbows and sunshine, that people will um, not think that God's good or wonder how could he let this happen or um, that it would hurt their faith. And I don't want that. Um, I know that our only hope is Jesus, but I also know that my relationship with him is strong enough that I can be honest with him and tell him how sad I am and how mad I am and how I don't like my reality right now. And he's with me. So I think I can be, I can even be angry with him, but he's still going to be there with me, crying with me, hurting with me, and comforting me. And um, going through this has really shown me that I'm not the only person hurting. There are people all around me who are going through some of the worst things you could ever imagine and we all need Jesus we're all broken and um, we just need to love each other thanks Mandy that's uh I think the the beautiful part about Mandy coming up here and talking is it thoroughly defines makarios, this congratulations word, especially in light of the Beatitudes and that the second half of the Beatitudes are all rainbows and sunshine, stuff we'd sign up for in the first half are all miserable things that we would not sign up for and somehow Christ weaves them together to bring us to a place where we can hope and despair we can be happy when we're incredibly grieved and sad beyond anything we could ever imagine. Um, this is what Jesus offers. This is what Jesus offers. Um, and God has given us a, an incredible gift in Kyle and Mandy to get to uh, be near them as they grieve through this process. And um, Mandy, I'm, I'm grateful for your courage and your brave heart to lay yourself bare in front of these people. Thank you. Um, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing some songs to God. Thank you so much, God, for um, this life. Um, thank you for uh, Mandy's courage and Mandy's bravery and Mandy's honesty. God, I, I thank you for giving her a husband like Kyle who's loved her well through this, God, and um, Father, I, I pray now that you would, um, you would draw us into your presence, Father. And Lord, I, I pray that you would convince us that you are always good, 
always, always good. And I pray now, God, that you would um, allow us to see the benefit of knowing you and loving you and serving you. And God, would you send us out of this place on mission with a reckless pursuit of our happiness by following you closely. Thank you again for this real world, real life example of someone who loves Jesus in a hard, impossibly hard season. God, minister your grace and your peace to Kyle and to Mandy, to Nathan, to Wayne, to Kathy, to Jason. Uh, God, I, I thank you that you are good. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.